Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for joining me for this really special interview with my friend, Ocean Robbins. So, this interview, actually, I did with him a couple of years ago. It's not anywhere available public online. And we covered so much good information that I wanted to do a whole podcast around it and help get this information out to the world. Ocean Robbins is the co-founder of the Food Revolution Network. They've reached millions of people around the world, helping them learn about good diet choices, nutritional choices, how to improve their health, how to prevent disease. And uh, he's a brilliant guy. He is a best-selling author and he deeply cares about humanity and the planet and has been doing tremendous work since he was a kid, actually, um, helping steward and foster a healthy life and a, and a healthy love and care for, for the planet and for humanity. This interview, we get to dive deep into some really profound nutritional education information about disease prevention and healing. So uh, enjoy this really special interview. And without further ado, Ocean Robbins. We live in a society in which it's considered normal to eat food that's laced with hormones, antibiotics, pesticides, GMOs, added sugars, thousands of chemicals, most of them having names we can't even pronounce. And this is all combining to create a toxic soup that is sickening and killing us. The Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at University of Washington produces a report called The Global Burden of Disease. They look at hundreds of causes of death and disease in 65 countries and they look at lifestyle factors and they look at the correlations and they ended up concluding that the modern diet is the single biggest driving factor behind 672,000 deaths per year in the United States alone, 11 million worldwide, which means more Americans died last year from what we're eating than died in World Wars I, World War II, Vietnam War, both Iraq wars, Afghanistan war, Korean war combined. But this time the enemy isn't another country, it's not guns and bombs, it's our own knives and forks and the fact that we are essentially digging our own graves with them. And I see so many people who are sick, who are struggling, who are suffering from diseases like type two diabetes and Alzheimer's and heart disease and cancer and autoimmune disorders and they do not realize that the cause of their suffering is food. But the beautiful thing is food can also fuel health. It can also fuel vitality. It can be medicine. It can, it can add not just years to our lives, but life to our years. And so, you know, there are a lot of places in life where you can feel overwhelmed by problems that feel so insurmountable, even unconfrontable. But when it comes to food, you have immense power. Every dollar you spend, every bite you take is kind of a vote. 
and you can vote for sickness and the status quo, or you can vote for sustainability and health and ethics and well-being for yourself and future generations. So it matters a lot. Why do you think our world has become so toxic, especially the food? Why do you think we've gotten this far off track and have created and allowed the creation of such toxic food to even enter our, our culture and our societies? We have uh, basically an economic system in which we've made money more important than health and human life itself. The way I look at it, Food 1.0 is about survival. If you can get enough calories to fill your belly, that's success. In Food 2.0, the central organizing principle of food is commerce. It's made the buying and selling of goods and the commercialization of our food system the goal. And it's brought us amazing flavors and tastes and textures and cuisines from all over the world. But unfortunately, Food 2.0 is morally bankrupt. So it's killing us which is why I say we need to move to food 3.0, where the central organizing principle of our food system is health for our bodies and for our planet. And there are plenty of healthy profits to be made in food 3.0. It's just that they come from healthy food. So what are some of these uh, toxins and toxic foods that, that you have seen uh, and found to be most related to chronic diseases like cancer? Well, there are a lot of different toxins in our environment and they compound. So it's not like, I mean, your body is amazingly resilient and it can absorb quite a bit of abuse and keep, keep recovering and replenishing and responding. But it does not have the ability to deal with the onslaught of all of the compounding factors. There are over 2000 chemicals in the American food supply that will come out of laboratories. They don't come from the earth. And they all have compounding, unique, interacting cofactors. And then there are all the pesticides that are in our environment. And then there's the plastics that we're putting our food in and that we're putting our water in and that we're sitting in and that we're sleeping in and that we're wearing on our bodies. And then there's all the hormones that, that, that cause a lot of the, um, the hormone-related cancers that we see so widespread today. And we're feeding them to livestock. And uh, even if we weren't feeding them to livestock, I mean, a lactating mammal, like a cow, for example, is producing a lot of hormones naturally because that's what cows do when they're nurturing babies. It's hormones that make it work. But when they're pumped full of added hormones, then it accelerates that even more. And when you consume that milk, not just in infancy, but day out, in and day out throughout your life, it can have an impact on your hormonal balance. So all of these things compound. Um, and it's difficult to look at them in isolation. I think that um, probably plastic is one of the most dangerous sources of, of toxicity in our, in our world today. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the studies when it comes to food, we can see that, you know, processed meats are particularly dangerous. Uh, generally, fried foods are dangerous. They, they, there's free radicals in the oils from fried foods and generally bottled oils, but particularly when they're heated and reheated and reheated. And those free radicals are known to cause cancer and uh, they cause oxidation in the body. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies 
for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal, but cancer prevention. Go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. All right, let's get back to the show. And so you put all these factors together. And you know the way I look at it, if you, if you drive your car into a brick wall, the death certificate might say impalement by brick wall, but we all know it was really bad driving. And the reality is that if you eat the standard American diet, you will get the standard American diseases. And we don't know for sure if it'll be cancer or heart disease or type two diabetes or Alzheimer's or one of the others, but it's kind of inevitable. And so ultimately, these things may not really be causes of death. They may more be seen as symptoms. And it's really diet and lifestyle that are fueling them. We know that less than 10% of cancer is caused by genetics. More than 90% is caused by a combination of diet, lifestyle, and environment. So let's just break those down really quickly. When we say diet, we mean sugar and processed junk and a high animal product consumption, as opposed to eating lots of vegetables and antioxidants and flavonoids and polyphenols that come mostly from the plant kingdom. When we say lifestyle, we're talking about uh, not sitting on your butt too much, basically. You know, sitting is the new smoking. And so moving and not smoking are the two biggest things when it comes to lifestyle. And then when we say environment, we're talking about things like uh, plastics and environmental contamination and pollution of air and water. So having a good water filter, having a home air filter if you don't live in a clean environment, keeping some of the plastics and toxins out of your home, these are all steps you can take that will help protect you, environmentally speaking. Put all that together and you can slash your risk of cancer dramatically. The argument that healthy food is just too expensive for the average person. Well, it's there's a real concern because uh, a lot of people feel like it takes their whole paycheck just to eat whole foods. And uh, the reality is that it does cost more sometimes to eat healthy food because we have, among other reasons, we have a subsidy system in the United States and in many countries around the world where taxpayers are literally subsidizing commodities crops, which is mainly corn, soy, both of which are genetically engineered, by the way, and wheat, among a few others. And these are turning into high fructose corn syrup, wonder bread, um, and, and livestock feed. So we're subsidizing factory farms, we're subsidizing Twinkies, which has 14 subsidized ingredients, and we're not subsidizing the nuts and the seeds and the vegetables and the fruits and the food we know we should be eating more of if we want to be healthy. healthy. It's kind of like you're being fined for wearing your seatbelt if you want to do the right thing. All that said, there's still a lot you can do. If you, if you want to eat well and save money, uh, top tips are, number one, the most expensive calories you will ever eat are the ones that make you sick and kill you. I mean, last time I checked, cancer was pretty expensive. So with Alzheimer's. And so when you're able to steer clear of needing a lot of medical care or having a lot of sick days or having a lot of brain fog, it's gonna be good for your bottom line too. Number two, it, the next most expensive calories are the ones that you don't need to eat in the first place. So I'm talking about um, excess food consumption. The average American gets about 500 calories too much per day and that adds up to a little extra weight around the middle that you have to carry around, which in turn makes you, make you more lethargic, so you wanna exercise and move less. Excess calories are a real problem, and guess what? The processed foods and the junk foods tend to be the ones people eat in excess. You know, the, the, the old uh, advertising slogan, bet you can't eat just one for potato chips, wasn't just, uh, wasn't just a tease, 
it was actually throwing down the gauntlet because there are serious researchers that are working very hard to make sure you can't eat just one because you get addicted to their products for life. That they want you hooked. So uh, those, are, those are pretty expensive calories too. And when you eat more whole real foods, your body gets the nutrient you need and eventually you're not hungry at times that you might've been because you're actually satiated. Number three is food that you waste. The average American wastes about $2,000 a year in food that literally just goes bad because it doesn't get eaten. So learning how to clear out those cupboards, learning how to go through the fridge, make a big soup with all the leftover veggies that you didn't eat since your last shopping, shopping from a list, planning ahead. Those are all steps you can take to cut the food waste down and save some serious moolah. And then uh, last piece is base your diet around the real superfoods, not $30 a pound Himalayan goji berries, but the foods that are super because they can do the most good for the most people. I'm talking about, you know, you can eat quinoa, you can eat legumes, you can eat cabbage, you can eat, you know, peanut butter's fine. You don't need to have fancy, super fancy nut butters. Peanuts work, you know. These things are all steps you can take. When you, you know, when you eat real wholesome healthy foods and cook it yourself instead of at restaurants, you can save some serious cash. You know, those are really great tips. And I'm just thinking of some of the things that we do with my family too, which we do a lot of what, what you say. You know, one of the things that helps me and our family is we do write a list um, every week. So when we go to the grocery store, we're not just picking up all kinds of random things. And my wife does 90% of the shopping because if I go, I do want to just, I get that kind of, you know, oh, I want this and I want those goji berries and I want this. And all of a sudden it's like, I have one little bag and it's like $200. I'm like, what happened? So actually my wife is so much more diligent about it and really looks for the best prices. She goes to two or three different stores. Yeah, it might take a little extra time, but because she actually puts in the time and the care to one, find the best foods for our family, but two, also find it at the best cost going to a couple different stores, um, I, I can guarantee we save thousands of dollars a year in food costs. So that could be another tip for people tuning in is find out who it is in your family if you're, if you're married or find a way with yourself to be a little bit more diligent about it and, and plan ahead and don't just grab whatever entices you. Um, and I love your, your comment about, you know, the real superfoods, they are the whole foods, the fresh foods, the fresh fruit, the fresh vegetables, uh, the quinoa, the, the organic brown rice and black beans and that sort of thing. They're easy and they are the, the least expensive, right? Yeah. They're easy to cook and the least expensive. Whereas the packaged, you know, superfoods, goji berries, that kind of stuff, they are the most expensive and they're not going to give you nearly as much bang for your buck. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. What are some of the foods that you recommend people avoid at all costs if they're trying to prevent or reverse cancer? Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life. At HealingLife.net, you get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors, and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. 
and this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net, and I hope to see you over there. Now, let's get back to the show. So the top foods you want to avoid are going to be processed meats, number one on the list. Um, in general, animal products, red meat in particular, is associated with higher risk of cancer. Um, you want to avoid dairy products if you're concerned about the hormone-induced cancers. And um, you know you want to go organic with the Dirty Dozen. Environmental Working Group publishes a list of the, every year they update it, the most, most and least pesticide-contaminated foods. And Dirty Dozen is what they call the, um, you know, the ones that are um, the most contaminated. And if you can go organic with those, which includes things like berries, actually, um, apples, um, a lot of foods that you eat the skin. So the, the clean 15, by the way, are the ones that are the least pesticide contaminated, even when grown conventionally. And that's things like avocados, melons, things where you don't eat the outside. Um, but um, th th those, are, those are some steps you can take that can definitely help. Eating lower on the food chain is a big positive step for avoiding cancer. Um, and then you want to saturate your diet with the healthy micronutrients. Oh, I didn't say sugar, did I? <laughs> yeah, definitely want to steer clear of, of added sugars and processed junks in, junk in general, all the chemicals in our food supply. Uh, you never know which one might later turn out to cause cancer or do so in conjunction with three of the others, right? Um, and then you want to eat more whole plant foods uh, that are rich in the antioxidants and polyphenols, flavonoids, phytonutrients that are really beneficial for your long-term health and well-being. And uh, I'm sure you're gonna get there next, right? Want me to jump into the, some of the top cancer-fighting superfoods that I you wanna, wanna be eating every day? There. I do wanna get there soon, but actually I have another question that, that came up. Um, okay. I, I know you're also a parent, like I am, um, and I know you care very much about your children's health and well-being. And I know for a lot of parents who eat healthy or wanna eat healthy, it can be challenging to get their kids to eat healthy. So what yeah. do you do? What do you do for your kids? Well, with our kids, I mean, they're, they're 18 now, so they're a little bit more on their own in terms of their process. But, you know, as they were growing up, one of our tricks was um, we used to struggle a lot around mealtimes with our kids getting hungry before food was on the table. And they'd forage through the cupboards and they would invariably grab whatever was the least healthy things they could find. And then they try and fill up on them. So one of the steps was I actually had to stop eating potato chips because I realized that my son and I were getting in all these fights and, you know, finally realized better stop buying them. <laughs> so that was a good step, right? I was eating organic kettle chips, but they were still potato chips, right? Uh, so the potato chips are no longer in our house and getting rid of the bad stuff is really helpful. And then the next step is, was we learned to put out, you know, before dinner was even on the table, we put out like some steamed veggies or some carrots and hummus and just have them snackable sitting there. And our boys would just reach over and graze, you know? And it, I don't mind if my son gets filled up with a bunch of kale or some, you know, carrots and hummus before dinner's ready, more power to him, you know, it's all good, right? So 
having some snacks and some ready-to-go stuff that's healthy is really helpful with kids. Um, and, you know, we definitely had some times when we had to create some boundaries, but the key thing is reducing the exposure. So, you know, you don't want to be saying no all the time and having kids staring in the face of something that's not healthy. So, obviously, you start with what you put in your cupboards and what you, you know, put in your kitchen in the first place. And if you're going to go out to a restaurant, try to choose restaurants that have healthier options and not get stuck in a place where everything on the menu is kind of bad stuff, right? Um, so, you know, never took our kids to like fast food restaurants and that kind of thing, you know? Um, and then, um, you know, getting them growing food is really helpful. We find that children that grow food are more likely to eat that same food. So gardening is great, whether it's in a school or church or community garden or backyard. Uh, even in your own kitchen, you can have a little, you know, by the windowsill, grow a little something and let the kids learn the connection between soil and sunlight and plants and nourishment and food. And once that connection gets established, it, it changes the child's life quite frankly, to just know where our food comes from and how it happens and how it works. So that, those are some of my top um, favorite tips. And then you can you know, give, give foods creative names. You can um, you know, get playful with it. Um, and ask, as kids get a little older, ask them to agree to at least have a bite of something. They don't have to eat the whole thing, but at least to be open-minded and that that's good manners. Um, and some kids need five or 10 times trying something before they learn to like a new food. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special I recently updated. I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at. And it is my book called The Panacea Cleanse. It's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide. It's already hit number one in four categories on Amazon. There's thousands of people that have done this cleanse and I've read so many testimonials from it. Let me read you one really quick. Aaron said, I did the panacea cleanse and followed your instructions closely. I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained Tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out the Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, -A -A, the Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it. My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out if you're interested. The Panacea Cleanse. It's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. So stay with it and be creative and make sure you present healthy food with the same pizzazz that you might prevent, un present unhealthy food. You know, we have people who are like, oh my God, we have the cake, it's ready, it's ready, it's almost ready, oh, it smells so good. And they're like, oh, and here's the broccoli. You know, guess what the kid's gonna get excited about. But if you're like, oh, wow, I just got this broccoli today from the farmer's market, it smells so good, oh my God, it's so crisp. And I think this is the sweetest broccoli I've ever eaten in my life. You know, oh, look at that, it looks like a tree, doesn't it? You know. 
then guess what? And then like, oh, and there's the cake, you know, <laughs> that's going to create a different emotional tone. And um, so, you know, obviously we, we have to practice what we preach. And as someone who's addicted to junk food is going to have a hard time teaching their kids to love healthy food. So ultimately, if you're a parent or you have kids in your life, that can be kind of a catalyst for a wake up call to you know, get on the right track. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, what you have in the house and what you eat as a parent is most likely what your kids are going to eat. Now, as you said, they might not like it at first, but, you know, I, I, I do a lot of these things as well. You're giving me some good ideas too. You know, my son's three and my daughter's eight and uh, my son still drink his main food sources, uh, you know, smoothies right now, which is great. I hope he doesn't get tired of them soon. Uh, but in those smoothies, my wife puts, um, all kinds of fresh fruit, vegetables, nuts, seeds, just a plethora of all different types of food sources. Um, so that that's kind of his, his main source while we're introducing him to more whole foods, uh, trying to, you know, get him to eat uh, actual nuts and seeds, actual beans, actual rice, that sort of thing. Same with my daughter. She's a little more um, picky and she really only like she's like a mono eater she only wants to eat one thing at a time not mix yeah so it's a little challenging with both of them they're both different unique in their own ways um but i think one of my big takeaways so far i'm certainly not perfect with it but um i think speaks to something you said which is try to find that balance like of course i want them to eat healthy but i don't want to force it on them so that later they resent me and go off and start eating fast food on their own because we told them no so many times to all the delicious cakes and all that kind of stuff. So it's a yeah. matter of like, yeah, letting them eat some potato chips. Yeah, letting them eat some cake. Yeah, letting them, you know, eat some of these things that their friends are eating and kids are eating in school, but constantly educating them about both the, the negative potential consequences down the road of those things versus, yeah. yeah, the broccoli might not taste as good as the potato chips, but guess what? You're gonna feel so much better long term and yeah i have to repeat that a thousand times because you know it yeah. doesn't quite make sense when something tastes so good and something else doesn't then why isn't this good for you but but i find that um, my daughter makes really great health decisions for herself for the most part yeah and i think that's it as a parent right is guide our children so that they make better decisions as they grow older not force them to do things but yeah how do we educate them so they want to make good decisions on their own no one wants to be the food police and when when your kids are two or three you may be able to control what they eat but when they're 18 or 20 or certainly when they're 30 or 40 you won't be so it's important to create the conditions where they can be the authors of their food lives in a good way and that's i think the goal of every parent with every choice right is you want to help get your kids on the right track and then ultimately help them know how to get themselves on the right track and recorrect when they fall off, right? Um, so that's, that's beautiful. That makes total sense to me. Um, every parent's got to decide where they want to draw the line. Um, but one thing we don't need is more fear around food. Like when you're eating food, do it with love, do it with dignity, do it with gratitude, do it with respect, taste it, chew it, enjoy it nothing is going to be benefited by guilt and shame and blame and misery. Um, I think that a person who eats beer and Franks with, you know, cheer and thanks is probably going to be healthier than a person who's, you know, eating their, their sprouts and, you know, 
to tofu with doubts and I don't know what a good rhyme is for tofu, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, you know, you want to you wanna bring joy and pleasure and beauty to your relationship with food. And ultimately with family, it's also all about love. I mean, when, when kids feel loved, then that, that goes a long way, you know. And if the tone is one of I love you and I want to help you love your life, that's really different than that's bad and you're bad for wanting it. You know, guess what that creates? Shame and guilt and a deep shadow. And then eventually that's going to come up in other kinds of destructive ways. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, it's such a good point. And that's actually one of the entire series of our, uh, one of the episodes in the series of our upcoming docuseries uh, about cancer is uh, exactly how our mind, our thoughts, our beliefs, um, the energy of what we put into food and into our lives and into our relationships, how that directly and scientifically affects our body's uh, ability to either um, generate diseases like cancer or, or reverse them. So yeah. such an important point you brought up and I'm glad you did. Um, speaking of, talking a little bit about the immune system, um, what are some of the things that you found to enhance your immune system? Well, um, there's a lot of wonderful immune boosting foods. Um, and I'll tell you though, my, my favorite supplement actually is vitamin D and you mean, you can get it from the sun and that's great. Um, it could be one of the reasons why people tend to get more colds in the winter because we have less sun exposure in the winter. Uh, but vitamin D is a hormone that your skin produces in response to sunlight. And it's also, it's, it's, it's very hard to eat it, but there are a few, few animal products that have little bits of it, but really it's a supplement and you can get vitamin D3 supplements. And I'll say for myself that in the last um, six years, I used to get colds a couple times a year, like most people do in the last six years, since I started taking vitamin D every day, I've had one cold in that time. My dad's had none, I think, in the last 10 years since he started taking vitamin D. Um, so it can make a big difference, at least based on our anecdotal experience, and there's a lot of research to back that up. Um, but as far as foods, oh my goodness, there are, there are so many. It, again, it's kind of the same list that you'll generally hear for a lot of things. Uh, you're going to want to lean a little more into the vitamin C rich things, though, with immune boosting. So you know, citrus is wonderful. Hibiscus is wonderful. Um, and then um, green tea is good for your immune system, and, uh, and certainly greens. Lots and lots of greens are good for your immune system. When your body is well-nourished, when it has the nutrients it needs, then it can, it can do its job well, and you're less likely to be susceptible to, to illness. Absolutely. There's a lot of um, scientific evidence that we cover in, in our film, The Integrative Perspective, as well as throughout this summit and through docu-series about the role of the immune system in preventing and reversing cancer. And so, um, I mean, it is critical and not only cancer, but really all chronic, uh, especially autoimmune disorders and diseases, right? So talking more about some of those foods, nutrients, supplements that can support in healing or, or let's say, uh, invigorating, reinvigorating uh, rejuvenating the immune system. What are some of the things in, in addition to vitamin D that you do every day to, to enhance your immune system and you know, prevent your risk of cancer? We can never talk too much about exercise and moving. So one of my favorite ways is I have a bike and I travel on bicycle for local things where I don't 
have heavy bags or stuff to schlep around or I'm not taking kids. And uh, so little appointments, whatever. And that keeps me moving. And it kind of, it's a kind of a rule I have, unless it's absolutely pouring rain, that I'm going to bike anytime I can. And that's helpful uh, to me in terms of just getting that exercise built into the fabric of my everyday life. I also, um, you know, for myself, obviously not eating the processed junk and eating a lot of wholesome foods. And I didn't mention garlic and onions are great immune boosting foods. There's wonderful properties in them that are, that are great for your body. And uh, prebiotics and probiotics are really good too for your immune system. We talk a lot about probiotics, which are, you know, a famous one is acidophilus, all the beneficial bacteria that help you digest your food and produce the neurotransmitters that are good for your brain and, you know, they, they make your gut happy and healthy. Uh, prebiotics are the food that those bacteria need to eat. And primarily what they eat is fiber, specifically uh, the soluble fiber. And so that's, that's what you really want to get lots of. And guess what? There's no fiber in any animal products. There's no fiber in any oils. There's very little in white flour, almost none in sugar. There's a lot of it in vegetables and fruits and legumes and whole grains. So again, we want to base our diet around these kinds of foods, and that'll give us a lot more fiber, which helps us feed the good guys in our gut so they don't starve to death. And then uh, they, when they have the nutrients they need, they can do their job for us well. And boosting our immune system is one of their critical functions. You get the same benefits of the fiber if you blend it in a smoothie, like blend an apple and, and spinach and all that with maybe some juice and some water, as if you eat it whole, right? Is it, I mean, it, it's no. obviously processed further. So are you gonna, uh, yeah, what's, what's the big difference? You don't get the same benefits, you get some. There are basically a couple different kinds of fiber primarily, and, and some, one of them gets broken down in a way that you kind of lose it when you blend, and the other one lasts. So call it 50% is good. Um, the, the benefit of blending is sometimes you can consume a lot more quickly, and sometimes that's beneficial. But it's kind of sad to me. We see a lot of green smoothies, and what people are really doing is drinking a bunch of fruit juice with a kale leaf added to the mix. And then you know what? You're better off eating the kale leaf steamed or raw then blend it into a smoothie with a bunch of fruit juice. So fruit juice is better probably than Coke because it's got some fiber, if especially if it's, but, but if it's actually juice rather than a smoothie, then you're even taking a step away because all that pulp that you've wasted is actually where the fiber is. So when you have juice, like even apple juice, for example, or orange juice, you're talking about a product that has been uh, separated uh, and you've got all the sugars and uh, you've devoid of the fibers. And so it's going to be bad for your blood sugar it's, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's not a whole food. And, you know, yes, it's probably better than Coke, but that's a low bar. Um, and so when you base a smoothie around juice, then that can be a problem. But when you, you actually are blending up all whole foods, you know, uh, maybe with some water or some nut milk or something, then that can be beneficial. Certainly no problem with it. Um, but it's not, you're not getting all the benefit that you would if you ate the food directly. There's also something to be said for chewing. The actual act of chewing creates saliva. And fat saliva is an important part of the digestive process. So, uh, you know, as in many things in life, sometimes the best things in life are a little bit more work. Um, you have to chew your food, but there's, there's a lot of benefit in it. I'm not a, like on an anti-smoothie campaign, and I think green smoothies can, can be a part of the picture for a lot of people, but I don't think they are the savior that many do. I think we need a lot of good, healthy, wholesome food as well. 
It's a good point. Yeah, you should look at it more as a supplementation to your diet than your main source of, of health and nutrition, right? The main source of your health and nutrition should come from the whole foods that you're eating on a daily basis. And the smoothie, at least this is how I look at it for my life, is it kind of supplements me to be able to get a lot of nutrition packed into a single drink. Um, yeah. Addition. Yeah, because yeah, I can add some some you know organic superfood powders to it, things that I normally am not going to get on a daily basis, and yeah. then I add spinach and I'll add a banana and I'll you know try to fill it up. I'll add flax seeds and chia seeds, add a little bit of apple juice and the rest water, and uh, and I find that is you know a great way to supplement some of those nutrients I might not be getting from even my my whole food diet. Yeah, yeah. So you have a big background in sustainability, and I know that's a, a big focus and passion of yours. How does sustain, sustainability play a role in preventing and reversing diseases like cancer? One of the things that really concerns me is that we live in such a toxic world. And you know, when we look at the fact that 90% of cancer cases are caused by diet, lifestyle, and environmental factors, you know, the diet is a processed foods and excess animal products, excess sugar. The lifestyle is, you know, sitting on our butts all day and too much, too many people are still smoking. And when we look at environmental factors, we're talking about pollution of our air and our water. We're talking about pesticides and hormones and glyphosate. We're talking about plastics in our homes, in our cars, in our clothes. And all of these things together are creating a lot of uh, toxic load on the body. So I'm interested in how we can uh, reduce our exposure and live in such a way that we are more resilient in the face of the inevitable exposures that we all have. As long as you breathe, you're gonna be part of a world in which there are pollutants that are in the air. As long as you drink, there's no way to be absolutely immune from the contaminants on this planet. But when you reduce your burden, and you optimize your resilience, you can do better and reduce your exposures dramatically and your odds of dying prematurely dramatically. So, you know, at the end of the day, nobody's perfect and the world's not perfect, but we all have the best we can do. And I'm interested in helping each of us to do that. Looking at the, let's say the future of humanity, looking forward 10, 20, 30, 50, even a hundred years, what are some of the biggest changes you think we can make as a society here in the United States and in other developed countries around the world to turn this sinking ship around, if you will, to turn this, you know, to really create this food revolution that, uh, that you speak about and that, you know, your organization, uh, Food Revolution Network, uh, your book talks about 31 Day Food Revolution. What are the biggest changes we need to make as, as humanity if we are to create a healthy and vibrant future for the next few generations? Well, there's the million dollar question. <laughs> you know, um, my focus is on food because that's where I have chosen to put my life energy. So I can look at that piece of the puzzle. There are other pieces to the puzzle. If we want a sustainable world, we're going to have to look at every aspect of society, our economic systems, and why it is that we are, uh, that, that many companies are, find it financially advantageous to offload uh, and outsource 
their, their, their real environmental impact. You know, if you can, it's, it's cheaper to clear cut than to log sustainably. Ironically, it's cheaper to produce meat in factory farms than on pasture, uh, not because mother nature deems it more efficient, but because all the pollution is outsourced and frankly, the feed is subsidized. So we have to change our economic system so that it values life and health and the future of the planet and helps to encourage companies that naturally want to make money to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. And um, we also, you know, we need to change how we transport ourselves. We need to change, you know, how we produce our electricity, how, how efficient we are in our use of that electricity, so many other pieces. But again, back to food, which is my focus. Um, I want to see the abolition of the factory farming system. I want to see the CS eat way less meat. And if we are going to eat meat, then it, for it to be better meat that's raised with animals that saw the sun and, and knew what the blades of grass looked like and uh, lived their natural lives in, in some sense. And, um, and that their manure went back to the earth instead of piling up in giant polluting lagoons. I want to see um, a world in which our food is grown organically and sustainably, and quite frankly, we need to invest in regenerative agriculture, which means instead of just doing, not doing bad, we actually have to do good. We can sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and help to spike global warming by capturing it in the soil where it belongs. And uh, when we grow food in sustainable ways, we can actually do that. So right now there's this terrible crisis of topsoil erosion which is uh, threatening our ability to grow food for future generations. A recent UN report concluded that by the year 2050, we expect to have about half the arable land that we did in 1950 on planet Earth. That's a very big deal. It means that we have to grow food for a growing population on half the land we had a century earlier. And that's where we're headed right now, which means mass starvation, folks. That's the reality, especially with climate change causing more droughts and more floods and more instability uh, and we have aquifers being depleted, and we have glaciers melting away, which could uh, uh, impact the ability for a couple billion people in Asia to be able to have sustainable water in the summertime when typically glacial melt has filled the riverbeds. So these are big problems. But what I want to say is that we can help in a substantial way by eating lower on the food chain, because right now, according to the UN, meat, and specifically beef, is responsible for more net carbon impact than our cars are. We can eat uh, more regeneratively with going organic, supporting local farmers and local food production systems. And as regenerative agriculture gets more up to speed with its science, eventually I think we're gonna have a certification system for it, for farms that are actually sequestering carbon and growing their topsoil. And when we can invest in those options, we will be knowing that we're participating in helping to heal the planet. So those are a few of the steps we can take that could make a significant difference. We, we don't have to be cutting down tropical rainforests for rainforest beef. We can actually be planting new forests that can also soak up carbon because we don't need so much land when we eat lower on the food chain. So in addition to a plant-based and or a vegan diet, however you want to look at it, being a um, obviously supporting the sustainability of the planet and humanity, how, how does a plant-based diet directly affect our ability to prevent and reverse diseases like cancer? In terms of uh, cancer specifically, um, we look at certain nutrients that have been documented to fight cancer. And you know, we talked earlier about some of the bad stuff. 
the processed meats, sugar, chemicals, pesticides that have been linked to higher risk of cancer. Uh, then there are certain uh, uh, phytonutrients and, and that, that have incredible cancer-fighting properties. One of my favorites food-wise food is mushrooms. In one study conducted by researchers at uh, West, University of Western Australia in Perth, they studied 2,000 women um, for eight years, and they ended up concluding that the women who consumed at least a third of an ounce of mushrooms every day, like the equivalent of about one mushroom, were 64% less likely to develop breast cancer than the women who did not. 64%. Uh, other studies found that when women consumed mushrooms daily and drank green tea daily, their risk of breast cancer dropped by 89%. Other studies have shown that women who eat greens daily have a 50% drop in breast cancer risk. So what happens if you eat greens and mushrooms and green tea daily? Well, we don't know that data, but the odds are your cancer risk is gonna drop even lower. So mushrooms are amazing, not just with breast cancer, but a lot of other, a lot of other forms of cancer. There are studies showing they're beneficial with stomach cancer, colorectal cancer, prostate cancer, and breast cancer. Another great one is garlic. Uh, people used to hang, hang it up outside their door to ward off the vampires. It does ward off bad guys, but not just vampires. Uh, it can fight off certain cancers. Garlic is incredible. In one study, um, researchers studied over 40,000 women in Iowa. They tracked their consumption of 127 different foods over five years. And the food they found was most highly associated with a significantly significant uh, decrease in colon cancer was garlic. Women who had at least a serving of garlic a week had a 35% drop in their risk of colon cancer. And there are a lot of other studies showing it's been helpful with stomach cancer and uh, many other forms of cancer as well. There's also berries, which contain ellagic acid. It's been found to inhibit tumor growth. Um, and uh, turmeric is amazing. It's a orange colored spice that's a staple in Indian curries and it has a polyphenol in it called curcumin that is helpful in reducing cancer risk. So turmeric is amazing. Many laboratory studies have shown that it can actually kill cancer cells, especially it's been effective with breast cancer, bowel cancer, stomach cancer, and skin cancer. Uh, we're talking here almost about, but it, obviously it's also helpful with prevention. Uh, so turmeric's amazing and then cruciferous vegetables, the, the most popular one being cabbage. Are, have been found helpful with breast cancer, lung cancer, lung cancer, colorectal cancer, prostate cancer. It can these can detoxify, they can remove carcinogens, they can kill cancer cells, and they actually can prevent tumors from growing. Then there's leafy dark green vegetables, legumes, um, red grapes. Um, it's it's uh, walnuts too, and celery. I, I don't get me started on celery. It's amazing. There was a study found that uh, people who ate two medium stocks of celery a day had a 60% drop in their risk of lung cancer. So uh, big stuff here. What happens if you eat celery and berries and green leafies and cruciferous veggies and turmeric and, and get your berries and your garlic all at once? I don't know, I wanna find out. A lot more studies being done on exactly that um, and more and more evidence coming up that you know the, the plant-based diets, specifically as you spoke about already, organic, uh, locally if you can, uh, primarily non-GMO, um, is definitely uh, a powerful way 
for us to really take back control of our health and our children's health and the health of the planet. Uh, I, I didn't hear anything in there that you shared, and I've never seen any science that says, if you eat more meat and drink more milk, you're going to have a better chance of preventing and reversing cancer. I've never heard that. Have you? No, I've never heard that. There are, there are a few people claiming it, but there are, no, there are no studies to back it up. There's some murky data on dairy products. There have been some studies that have linked them to um, higher cancer risk, some lower um, more honestly have led to higher cancer risk, but obviously you can cherry pick the data and find studies that back up a lot of different things. Um, and, uh, but, but no, there, there's nobody credible that can really tell us that we need to eat more meat for lower cancer risk. The exception maybe that I don't consider credible, a lot of people are advocating a ketogenic diet for cancer prevention. They're saying that cancer cells don't eat ketones. And if you're in ketosis, they'll starve to death and that cancer cells like sugar. Well, they may like sugar, but they can eat ketones, and that's been documented now. So, um, there, and there are absolutely no studies showing lower risk of cancer for people in a ketogenic diet, but there are abundant studies showing higher risk of cancer for people who don't get enough fiber and don't get enough whole plant foods and eat too much meat, all of which are promoted by a ketogenic diet. So uh, in the long run, uh, I think it's a bit of hogwash to think that keto ketosis is going to fight cancer. I understand a lot of people are desperate, especially when they're dealing with cancer immediately. And of course, if something works for anybody, I'm the first one to say, please do what works for you. I'm never one to put ideology ahead of people's lives. But I do think that the science is pretty clear that um, a diet that's low in fiber, which you can't, if you're eating 80%, 90% fat, you're going to have a pretty low fiber diet. A diet that is you know, low in uh, the, all of the vital nutrients that come from plants and a diet that's high in meat is not going to be a friend to your cancer fighting goals. Yeah, I did an interview with um, Dr. Joel Furman, who's a part of this summit as well. And yeah. one of the things he mentioned in all the blood analysis that they do with their patients as they're supporting them in, in uh, reversing cancer is uh, he finds it's only about maybe 2% of people that actually, because of some genetic predisposition or some reason they're not able to get enough uh, protein or synthesize enough nutrients, because something's going on with their body, uh, that, they, that they do have them um, either eat eggs or a little bit of meat, but, uh, but still their primary diet is a plant-based diet. And so I find that fascinating because it's only about 2% of the people that that they see, and um, yeah. you know, I think that's something important to note. Is yes, uh, you know, I find a plant-based diet works for me and my family, and has for many, many years. And the evidence certainly is pointing to that if you want to live healthier, longer, with more vitality, and prevent, and reverse almost every disease, that a very diverse, organic, plant-based diet is certainly the way to go. And so, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to ask you. Because I know that can be very challenging for people to sure. either start changing their diet, switch their diet, even if they want to, because of the addiction to the sugar, the processed food, the meat, the dairy. You know, there's so we can go into so much on that. But um, just kind of wrapping up, what are some things that people could actually do to start uh, being more diligent about their diet? In order to get from point A to point B, you've got to have three pieces of information. You've got to know what point A is, you've got to know what point B is, and you've got to know something about the terrain. That's how a GPS works, right? It's got its mapping data, but it has to know where you are and have the GPS going, and it's got to know where you're going. And so 
I think that similarly, if you have health goals and food goals, you kind of want to know what they are and identify them and clarify what your mission is. Do you want to fight disease? Do you want to live a long, healthy life? Do you want to dispel brain fog? Do you want to feel better? Do you want to have a better sex life? And those kinds of things can all happen when you know what you're headed towards. And then you want to also know kind of where you are, like honestly. Self-assessment is kind of important. Do you slip? Do you fall? Do you have late night cookie binges? It doesn't really matter if you avoid junk all day, if you binge all night, you know? Um, and so it's important to understand kind of where you're slipping, what your weakest, what the weakest links are in your food chain so that you can make progress. But the main thing is don't make the perfect into the enemy of the good. Clarify where you are, set some goals, and then take steps one step at a time forward. I'm not interested in fancy diets that you go on for a few weeks and then binge afterwards. I'm interested in habits. It's our habits that shape our destiny. It's what we do when gravity calls. When you, you can jump, but you're going to land. And so I'm interested in what you land in, what catches you, what sustains you, what, what are the groups that you go on, go into when you're on autopilot. And the right use of willpower isn't to fight the groups, it's to create new ones. And then you just keep channeling your energy there. And then it gets easier and easier. So that eventually you don't have to struggle. It's not an uphill battle just to do the right thing for your health. It's the path of least resistance. And you, then you're on a super highway towards the health and the vitality and the joy and the pleasure that you deserve. Beautiful. Well said, Ocean. I'm, I'm a testament to, to exactly that as well, is that changing our diet, uh, it can be challenging at first, but the more we do it, the better we eat, the, learn, the, better we, the more we learn how to cook with whole natural foods and make them taste delicious, it's the easier it becomes. And then you start feeling better, you feel better, you eat better, you eat better, you feel better. It's a snowball effect and you never want to go back to eating the same way again. So um, I want to thank you for joining us here for the Global Cancer Symposium. I want to encourage everyone tuning in. A great place for you to start and go into the next step is pick up Ocean's book, 31 Day Food Revolution. You can get that at foodrevolution.org. You can also join their newsletter and stay up to date. They produce an annual summit with world leading experts um, and a whole lot of additional support resources and ongoing information to support you in making these healthy food choices for yourself and your family. Again, that's uh, foodrevolution.org. And Ocean, again, thank you so much for being here and sharing all your wisdom with us. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth. And it's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And, you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort, it cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose 
from manifesting that next level of our expression is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.